Welcome to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. Over the next hour, Ingrid and guests will discuss how historical trauma impacts the human experience and how we can move towards collective healing. Now, here is your host, Ingrid Cochran. Thank you for joining us. This is Ingrid. I am your host for today. This is History, Culture, Trauma. And we are going to dive into kind of what's forward for the um, Worldwide Paces Movement. And so first, I want to say Happy New Year. And then I want to introduce my co-host, Matthew Portell. Hey there. And we are can you believe we're back, Ingrid? It's, it feels like it's been quite it's a while. It's been a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it has been a while. So today we wanted to really just jump into the year and have kind of a review of 2022 and then think through what, you know, 2023 can hold. And also the big picture, which is what is the direction that the Worldwide Paces movement is going in? And I think it's really good to talk with you, Matthew, because you just came on um, to Paces Connection staff this year. And before you were still in the trauma-informed movement, but were very sector-specific in education. So, you know, as you have kind of jumped in and um, really seen the movement from the inside, what has your experience been like in 2022, um, kind of moving into the, the big picture? Wow. Well, what... Man, it has it has grown. My perspective has grown for sure. So I, I think I go back to um, when I first started my professional career as a teacher. Right, I, I started in the classroom and had my students that I the, that I worked with and built relationships and community with and yeah. adored. And every year I had to say goodbye and pass along. And then I became an instructional coach, which means that I was working with teachers. So that perspective kind of stepped out a bit, and I got to see. First of all, that everybody didn't do what I did in the classroom, right? Everybody did their own yeah. thing in their classroom. And it was different because I thought everybody taught reading and everybody taught community and everybody built community in their classroom and cared about kids. And yeah. um, I quickly learned that wasn't the case when I stepped at a broader scale, right? And then um, after doing that instructional coaching for several years, I went into school administration and again, stepping back a little bit further to see a broader scope. And yeah. um, man, did I, th I thought I knew <laughs> and I really didn't know. Um, but I will say that's where I started this journey was stepping back enough to know, wow, what we're doing is not working for kids. Right. Yeah. And then in March I came to paces again, it's like another step back and the view gets larger. So being able to see this cross sector, collaborative um, movement has been inspiring. Um, and at times, to be quite honest, overwhelming of like, how are we going to pull this off? Right? Like we have people from the medical field and people from the faith communities and people from education and people from business sector. We're trying to bring them all together around this work to do systems change. Yes. Um, and I think you probably remember my green deer in the headlights look those first couple months of like, <laughs> and you're like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Like we're going to get through this. And, um, and wow, have I learned so much this year? I, I feel like professionally, personally, um, I've grown so much from 
just participating in our historical trauma series that we do, um, listening to your expertise and the expertise of people within bases. Um, it's, it's grown me as a person. Um, and definitely I have grown professionally uh, because I've stepped completely out of that role of an educator. Well, I wouldn't say completely. It's a different <laughs> role as an educator, yeah. uh, but the different field of than education. And just to see this work uh, from this point of view has been motivating and inspiring to me because um, it's happening and it's happening on a big scale. Um, And I think that people who were like me, uh, principals or uh, on the ground working and and Mm -hmm. having that one-to-one contact, sometimes you get lost in, are people listening? Is there things happening? Are people seeing? Is change happening? And it can become discouraging. Um, And I think the big reflection I have this year is, the work is happening and it's happening on a big sure. scale cross sector um, and conversations are happening um, about change. And I think that is massive in this work. And I mean, I honestly, I'm not the only one, right. That had this massive transition last mm-hmm. year. I, you know, yeah. I, I came in, in March, but you transitioned uh, in January uh, to being the CEO of Paces, and I would love to know your perspective because that that definitely changed, right? So, what was your perspective this year of stepping into that new role of being the CEO of such an amazing organization? So, I, you know, I it was definitely a huge transition. Um, obviously, I was already working with Paces before, and I covered Tennessee and the Midwest. And my focus was, you know, cultivating movements in those geographical areas. And, uh, and I learned a lot there, you know, um, so that was kind of a step back for me too. So I knew that I was um, in my own local movement and, and we were trying to push for resilience and, um, you know, being trauma aware in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and so pulling back and, and covering like a whole region of the country was interesting and definitely meeting the, um, you know, the people who work with PACES already and, you know, in, you know, being able to be exposed to their expertise and the kind of conversations that we would have. Um, one thing that I, I, I'm very proud of is when I came into PACES, um, Paces was already at the forefront of the work, but um, really needed to have a, a, a very good understanding internally around DEI and historical trauma. And I was, I was able to kind of bring that to the table in, in internally with staff. And uh, I think that really helped us to um, have a more well-rounded view of trauma and then be able to put that out into the world to help people to understand historical trauma and intergenerational trauma in a different way. Um, but as CEO, I've I've kind of, you know, pulled back the veil on some other things like we need trauma-informed funding. We need mm-hmm. trauma-informed state agencies. We mm-hmm. need trauma-informed corporations. Um, and so the, it really helped me to, to see that, you know, I am and had been working in a bubble, that the PACES movement was um, really, um, really focused on kind of the people serving industries. So social services and psychology, mm-hmm. social work, um, but 
that, you know, I, there were still, you know, the majority of people that don't know anything about PACE's science and, um, and that there's still new frontiers out there. And so, um, you know, it really brought to my attention the need for trauma-informed workplaces, especially as, you know, after 2020 and, um, and the kind of the great resignation um, this is something that is needed. You know, this is for everyone. Everyone needs to understand the impact of um, adverse conditions, toxic stress, uh, and also the impact of positivity and um, and how and collective care. And this is for everyone. And I think before I was really kind of in 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 the bubble and thought, surely everyone knows about this, this, this science and this work. Mm -hmm. And I was quickly reminded that not everyone does know. And then um, that there's a real need to get the messaging right so that we can make sure that corporations understand that they need to be trauma-informed for their, um, their staff, not, not who they serve, but the, their workplaces in general. And we need to understand that we need collective care, whereas, you know, kind of there's been a focus on self-care. Um, but we need to understand that we need community care and collective care, which ties to indigenous practices that we've kind of abandoned in this modern world. And so there's a lot there and a lot has opened up to me since I've been in this position. Um, and so I think this year has really shown me a lot. And, and as the CEO of a company that's kind of on the forefront of this movement is a reflection of the movement as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to, um, we need to make sure that people understand that pace of science is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to make sure that we don't get stuck in the individual when it comes to, to pace of science. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also need to make sure that we are very clear that it's not just about children, um, that it is through the lifespan and that, uh, again, pace of science is for everyone. So that's probably what really stood out for me. Um, you know, as you come into this uh, to this movement in a different way, what are some of the trends that you see? Um, currently, or that, you know, in this last year that have kind of come up for you? Well, I think uh, trends. Wow. I, I think just the perspective of, of learning so much. And, and I will say, Ingrid, uh, it's not a trend necessarily. What you, what you mentioned about trauma-informed workplaces, working in, with an organization that's trauma-informed was hard for me. And I know that sounds so strange, um, and, and I hope it, it would be my hope for the future that everyone could experience what I've been able to experience, where self-care and collective care are in the forefront of how we operate as an organization, right? And that's not necessarily a trend I'm seeing, right? But it's one that I've experienced for myself working at Paces, where we are encouraged, no, you disconnect. You're not allowed to work on the weekends. Hey, if you need something, reach out. Hey, you're trusted to get your job done, Right. There's all kinds of pieces. You have a voice. We can problem solve. All these things that that most people hope for, um, I get to experience. And so uh, I'm not going to say it's a trend, but I hope that it becomes a trend that trauma-informed workplaces is really 
where we move. I think another piece that I, I've seen kind of bubbling up now is trauma-informed faith-based communities. It's something that I was I grew up, and I think anybody that has listened to this podcast knows my upbringing. I was I was raised as an evangelical, um, grew up in a very conservative, um, strict home, and I, I unfolded for myself a lot of those things that had happened to me, and didn't even realize the impact that it had on me. Um, but I'm now seeing this um, this trend of having these conversations across the faith based communities. And I think that is going to be key, right? You mentioned earlier, it doesn't matter what faith, to be quite honest, it's about that collective healing piece, where whether it's through faith-based community, whether it's community agencies, it doesn't matter where it's through, but it's this idea of collective healing. Um, as individuals, we have to utilize that collectiveness to be able to heal. Of course, we can heal ourselves through the processes, but collectively is how it works. And going back to what you said, the, the, the empowerment of, of looking at the indigenous practices, we're just coming back to what we know our forefathers used centuries and centuries ago. And now we're going, wow, this is really actually movements that are healing. So I think that the, the one trend is collective impact. Um, and then the other, I think, too, for sure, is looking at um, our workplaces, right? And I think the great resignation, COVID has exposed this, um, whether we were ready for it or not, where uh, it's so funny because I watched this. I'm not going to tell you what episode. I'm not going to tell you who it was because it's embarrassing. But I watched this show (laughs) and they were talking about silent quitting, right? And silent quitting is the idea that people only work when they're paid for what they're paid for and during the time that they're paid for and they do their jobs and that's what they do. And how people are like fighting against this idea of like working your job for your job and then taking care of yourself. And that really was eye-opening to me that this concept and idea that we're not working ourselves to the grave literally People are pushing back to this idea that you, you have to, um, your existence is based off of how you work, right? And I think that is a trend that I've seen, that people are having conversations. They're not just doing jobs anymore, right? They're not doing jobs that they're not motivated by, they're not inspired by, they don't feel seen, heard, and validated. People are seeking opportunities and roles and jobs that those are going to be in the forefront. So I think those two trends are, are big of what I've seen is that collective need of healing and people are starting to get that now. Um, and then the second is this idea that I don't have to work myself to death um, under our archaic systems. Um, and yet there's a pushback of going, wait, you mean people aren't going to work beyond what they're getting paid for and they're not going to bury themselves so I can be more successful, right? Um, it's interesting. And uh, coming from education, that's a hard concept, right? That, that's a major paradigm shift when teachers are told from the beginning, pre-being a teacher, you give it all, you pour it all out, and that's what you do. Uh, so what about you? What trends, what trends do you see popping up and have popped up this year? I know your perspective has been much wider from, than mine for a while, uh, but what have you seen? So I think, especially this year, the the things that stand out to me the most are these kind of um, rifts in, in the movement where people are kind of taking sides. And so um, our founder, Jane Stevens, recently wrote an article about it, 
um, you know, trauma-informed versus using paces science and people saying to screen or not to screen for for um, ACEs in um, in their work, be it medical or education or otherwise. And so I think that there is this um, murkiness, um, which um, leads to my next trend, which is this need for common language. Um, I often tell people that I, I don't I don't mind if there's no common language and it drives <laughs> some people, you know, <laughs> up a wall when I say, hey, we, we, we might not agree on the language. And I know um, that this is something that is kind of the cornerstone of this movement at first is that we have this common language because it's one of the tenets of collective impact is that we have common language. But what I found is that, um, and this is really closely tied to to the DEI work um, as well, that when we get so tied up in language that we can't get things done, that it ultimately becomes performative, that we um, we have to have a label for a thing and and we have to label it and 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 then maybe one day we'll get to the work. And then maybe maybe that is part of the work. But what I do know is that in the conversations that I've had, um, people are, you know, wondering what trauma informed versus trauma aware versus trauma responsive um, versus healing centered. And and it's one of the reasons why we um, put together an infographic at Pace's Connection called Path to a Just Society to kind of help people um, to have a, a understanding of what these terms mean. And this is a larger issue in science in general, is that it makes it harder for people to be able to interface or be involved because they're at a loss for the words to use. And that's why I said before, this is also something that the field of DEI is grappling with, diversity, equity, and inclusion, because people are are fearful of saying the wrong word or saying the wrong thing. And um, it does it does definitely slow the work down. So that is something that I've I've seen and I hope that we've done enough uh, of getting on the same page around the importance of uh, addressing toxic stress and facilitating positive childhood experiences that now we can move into kind of the work. And mm-hmm. so, and that's where I, that's what I want to see. And I think that some of these discussions can be kind of derailing and, and performative and get us away from the work. Mm-hmm. And some of it is needed. Some of it, you know, we do need to have some things that we agree on um, so that's one trend, the language. And then other things that I've found is that, um, in this space, when we get to the big picture around toxic stress and resilience, um, more and more, I'm beginning to understand this is really about, um, human evolution. So I've talked to so many different people, so many experts in this space and over and over again, they say, how the human being is hardwired to um, to really attend to adversity. Um, and, you know, that kind of comes out when we say things like, oh, you need to have, if you have a criticism for a child, you need to have three positive things that you say to the child to be, to counterbalance. And so um, this, this understanding that adversity and um, as well as um, resilience and positive experiences are shaping human beings and um, uh, our drivers for human evolution and what that means for us as a society. 
Um, and I know that that resonates with me as a person who came into this field, uh, really focusing on race, uh, that that makes it very important when we say that we need to address racism and poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, these issues are extremely important because we are um, creating conditions that are changing the brains and bodies of people and the stakes are high. And so, um, you know, in this life, everyone should be able to live their best life, regardless of their skin color or how much money their parents make when they're born and things of this nature. So um, the the human condition has really stood out for me uh, in our, in my work this year as well. And I, I have so much that I've resonated with. And I think what you just said is the root that we are trying to get to at Paces, right? We want to get to the root. And yet when that root is holding up this massive tree of history that people do not want to have a conversation around, right? It is hard work. It is, it is work that is, that is hard to dig into, um, but it's going to create, it, it's going to require systems change, which is why we're doing what we're doing, right? We're wanting to see the system change. It's why we partner with who we partner with, why we do the, the events that we do. It, it's all of the pieces comes down to, we can't put this on individual people anymore, right? It's not, we can't build resilient people. We need to give de-escalation strategies. We need, no, 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 no. We need to change systems so people don't have to have those skills built for them, right? The second one too, that, that I, I just, it really, really resonated with me was that the use of, of, of terminology. And what I've seen, Ingrid, um, especially in education, is that there's this use of shame when people use the wrong words which then ironically, right, is what we try to say, especially in education, don't use shame as a driving factor for change, right? But that's the number one thing that so many, quote unquote, trauma-informed, trauma-aware, trauma, whatever we want to call educators are using, right? And I think that is something we have to pause. And and I've said it a thousand times, this is trauma-informed work is not a destination, right? It's a journey. I've learned so much this year working at Paces around historical context. Uh, I'll never forget that. I was only there for about a month. It was the Northwest. No, it wasn't. It was California and and some of the Northern or the Western states. And I said in the historical uh, trauma series that Paces put on, and I was in awe how much I didn't know and how much I was learning of man, I have so much more to learn in this field. And I think as practitioners, no matter what sector you're in, we have to always be in that space of a learner and a teacher. It's okay to meet people where they are. And it's okay to meet yourself where you are and go, wow, that pushed against my paradigm a bit. Let me sit with that for a minute, not lash out or if I'm the teacher or not, oh, you can't say that. I think having those authentic conversations are going to be key, right? I mean, I think we can't we can't continually push people away who don't get it right because let's be honest, nobody has it completely right all the time. I mean, I think we're all in this journey together. Uh, what are your thoughts around that? Because I mean, that's what I was, I experienced that a lot, especially when you're yeah. talking terminology and what you use. Yes, um, I have experienced that and so much so that when when I I'm in meetings and 
this this issue comes up, I immediately want to put the brakes and say that words are important. The the uh, definitions and uh, are important, but what we need to have is kind of this space where it is clear that if you're not there yet, then that's okay. Um, that we're all learning together. And like I said, this is not just just the trauma-informed movement. It's also discussions around race. And so um, our, our, you know, using words as, as tools or as weapons um, is very impactful. And so we, we definitely want to be a movement that's open, not making um, other sectors conform to our language, but, you know, if we want to work with be cross-sector and we want to have trauma-informed workplaces and trauma-informed hospitals and trauma-informed, you know, everywhere, we want to be able to interact with other sectors. We may have to adopt their language um, in order to get things done, as opposed to saying that if, you know, when we work together to be cross-sector and multi-sector in our work, then we have to, you have to use these terms. Um, I think that you're right. It is uh, an issue of um, of shaming people for for not knowing the right thing um, to say, or at least people can feel as though they are being shamed, and so it ends up not being trauma informed. <laughs> it makes me think of the quote by Maya Angelou. She says, "Do the best you can until you know better, right? Then, when you know better, do better." And I think that is where that's the space I live in all of the time in this work is I'm just constantly doing the best I can with what I know. And when I know, when I learn something new, which this year I've learned so much, as I've said a thousand times, wow, I, I now look back and go, I would have done that differently, right? As a principal, I would have done that differently. As a father, I would have done that. As a friend, I would have done that differently. Um, but it, we have to meet people in that space of people are doing the best that they know. And sometimes we have to help each other be better so we can do better. Uh, and, and I mean, yeah, I, that, 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 that may be my mantra, right. For this year, you know, everybody's like, what word do you want? Maybe that's my mantra for the year, um, is I'm just going to do the best I know until I know better. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a good mantra to have <laughs> throughout life. I think that, you know, um, this year has, it has, has its ups and downs, but there's certain things that have been very consistent with all the people that I've interacted with, um, the desire to have a new way of, of life, the desire to have, um, you know, less trauma in, in the world and more healing in the world is pretty consistent. So, and I think that that's exciting. And so we don't all have to speak the same language to get there. But I think the passion and dedication to get there is what is what's important. I think we do have that. And I think we have a real movement. So I'm excited about that. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about um, what our, you know, what our experiences have been this year. But more importantly, we'll talk about what we think is coming up for the for the new year and for the future for the movement. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
In this polarizing age of misinformation, it is critical to examine the lessons of the past on history, culture, and trauma. Ingrid Cochran, CEO of Paces Connection, and her guests will explore historical trauma and outline how our collective past shades our perception of today's world and our shared experiences. In this podcast, we will examine the impact of past atrocious cultural events and the impact of the systemic trauma of racism and poverty on the human experience. Ingrid and her guest will also outline what is needed for our collective healing. Please join us for History, Culture, and Trauma, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. If you have questions for Ingrid or her guests or want to share your story, join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Here again is Ingrid Cochran. We are back. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Um, We're going to continue our conversation about the future of the PACES movement um, I'm Ingrid Cochran, and I have my co-host, Matthew Portell, with me. Um, when we were talking before in the first half, we really kind of talked about what our experience was for 2022 and kind of some trends that we were seeing. And I think it's important to, you know, think about what's coming um, for the, fut- the future of the movement as a whole. Um, and we talked a little bit about some things that were kind of, you know, coming up for us as far as, you know, trauma-informed workplaces and uh, really uh, pushing for systemic transformation because we're hopefully the movement is coming out of this individual focus and, and um, or even, you know, childhood focus and moving forward. So I'm very interested, Matthew, again, because you are kind of new to this, the, this, this realm, you know, what do you see as kind of the future of the of the paces movement? Well, I think there's I think it's a bright future, honestly. Um, I think that the light is on now. Um, we're seeing now that conversations are happening across most, if not all, sectors. Um, I would be amiss if I didn't go back and say I see major transformation happening in education for sure. Um, I was just, I'm originally from Illinois. I was just there. 
um, while I was there, I see the news that all school board members and all school administrators, it's not passed yet, are up to potentially have to go through a trauma-informed training, right? Wow. I mean, imagine that, the policymakers in a district and the admin decision makers in the district being under, at least have a general understanding of pace of science, how big that would be. So I see major shifts happening in education um, because I don't know if you know, but I think the world knows that we are on the cusp in education um, of a breakdown um, where uh, teachers are, teachers can't, they can't handle it, right? It's just too much. The workload is too much. Um, the disrespect is high. There's, it's, it's all those pieces. So I think we're going to see a major transformation in that space. I think the other is um, trauma-informed workplaces is going to become the, we're going to take the first step into that in a big scale, right? I think conversations in corporate America are going to start happening in this space um, where it's not necessarily about working with clients, although that's a part, but it's about the workforce, right? It's about, it's about everyone. It's about the human experience that doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, you might have experienced adversity and that plays out in every part of your life, right? And I think that the more people understand, the more they can support and provide um, conditions where people can potentially even heal, right? So I think workplaces are going to be, uh, I think we're just making that first little step. I don't think there's going to be any major profound work happening. Um, but I think, and you've been in this work a long time, Ingrid, but DEIB is going to become something that's in, it's going to become as trauma-informed has become. It's a conversation that is going to be happening, whether people are ready for it to happen or not. And it's not just, it's going to be race-driven for sure, but we're also going to be talking about our LBGTQ communities. We're going to be talking about many different communities because I see, and this brings me hope um, and trend in this work, is our young people are getting involved, right? Our young people which would be to me another thing that we're seeing. Our young people are now starting to have conversations around trauma, right? And people think it's a bad thing. I'm right now mentoring a high school, a young lady in high school who her whole year culminating project is around the impact of ACEs on girls and women, right? She reached out to me as a high school student. So I see DEIB being something that has to be not just in corporate, not just, but something that's going to be happening from the ground up from our youth, because they're having these conversations. They're not afraid to talk about things that maybe different generations, even mine, um, are afraid to talk about. So I see that as being another big piece. And the last is policy changes. I see policy. I don't know if this is a hope or a trend, to be honest. I think it's a hope. Um, and I think it starts with the most recent policy that CTIP has pushed for, right, which is getting aid, trauma-informed uh, aid for, for natural disaster victims, right? Like, that is a good first step. But we think about, okay, when we have these other social issues that are happening, and environmental for sure, but we have social issues that are happening. Responding in a trauma-informed way could be really, really powerful. Trauma-informed policing, trauma-informed whatever, right? So at least there's policies happening on the federal level that they're taking into account, hey, wait a minute. You're telling me adversity of a natural disaster, people need support after that? That's a good first step. Do I think in a year we're going to make massive policy changes 
know, but at least I see a, 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 the hope and trend that policymakers um, are at least beginning to open that door to, hey, we've got to do some things differently. So you're, again, I'm going to go say what I said before when we talked about, um, you know, what we, we see happening. Your experience is much more vast than mine. Um, and what do you see as the future of this work in 2023? And I, I, I know your perspective is a, is a higher level than mine, um, but I think we work so closely together that um, we probably will agree. And I'm, I'm anxious to hear what you think outside of those um, as the trends for coming up this next or the, the, the next steps for 2023. Yeah, so the movement itself is, to me, a little stalled. And, and that's because we have been so focused, again, in, in, our, in our bubble, um, our psychology, education, social services bubble. And um, we have not mastered a, a way of being able to message to the masses about how important pace of science is and what it means to them in their, in their lives. Um, so I think that... Um, that stall coupled with, you know, we're also stalled in the community work because of COVID, right? So that stall has made it uh, very clear that um, we need to, um, as a movement, to ensure that we are touching everyone and that we're communicating in a way that it resonates with everyone. So I, I see that as, a, as the future us getting outside of our bubble is the future and what and what that's going to look like. Um, the next thing is, is that we've, the movement itself has done a lot of education in raising awareness. And now you have a lot of people that are like, so what am I supposed to do with this information? <laughs> and so um, we, and someone, a researcher actually just reached out to me not too long ago, and they're doing a research study to find out what happens after people get this type of education around um, toxic stress? Like, what do they do with that? How does it change them? Um, and so I think what where we are now is now we need to really think about what does it mean to have concrete steps to address it in our, in our society? Uh, and I think that, you know, application of PACES science is what's next. And we're not there yet, but application of pace of science looks like systems change because again, we've been so focused on the individual in this work and, and our education has really been focused on children. Our education has really been focused on how stress impacts the physical body. And now we need to get to, well, what about the conditions that we need to make it so that we are mitigating the effects of toxic stress, if not preventing um, we can't prevent all stress and adversity, but we can definitely prevent um, some through systemic change, like you said, and policy change. So I think we are getting to the point where now we need to really pivot into that application, implementation, uh, and, and, um, and people are really reaching out for that. Like, what do I do? What's next? Um, another so you're going to write a book, right? That, that's oh. what no. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like, I mean, I know the listeners would be giving me a thumbs up. It sounds like <laughs> trauma-informed systems change by Ingrid Cochran. I mean, I, I think that you might as well go ahead and put that out there and, and start providing some solutions because you have them, you know, you're brilliant. And, you know, 
Okay, maybe she's not going to write a book on that, but I would say I would support you 100% um, with encouraging words every week if you decided to do so. Yeah, see, my background is really focused on <laughs> stress and trauma, and so I operate in a way that my my own life that <laughs> reduces my stress. So I would not be on the lookout for that book right away, but maybe when you know my one-year-old <laughs> twins are a little older. But But I do think that this this movement, you know, is really in need of a pivot. Um, I think that everybody needs to get on board too. So um, funders need to get on board. Workplaces need to get on board. Um, corporations need to get on board because we are at a place where it's a little bit of a breaking point. And that's the reason why we even started this podcast was because of two things. First, the positive response that we got from the historical trauma series the historical trauma uh, in America series um, where we do a deep dive into kind of the historical context that brings us to the uh, issues and disparities that we have. And when it comes to social determinants of health, um, there was a lot of interest there. So that um, made me believe that this would be something worth discussing. And then the other is the um, collective trauma of 2020 where people were, um, you know, we had, you know, obviously we had COVID in the, you know, we had a million people pass away um, from this disease and we have mass um, trauma and grief. And then we have people dealing with the allostatic load of a collective trauma. And then they are like, look, I don't want to work in this way anymore. I'm completely stressed out. My kids are home from school and I'm learning that it's very important, you know, for me to focus on my children and my family and my loved ones, as opposed to stressing myself out at work, you know, uh, especially when work is toxic or I'm working in a way that's not healthy for myself. And people are seeing, you know, life is short. I need to um, live in a different way. Um, I need to you know, pursue my passions, um, you know, those kinds of things, which then leads to the great resignation. Um, and I think the other layer to that is the racial reckoning that also happened in 2020, where people were out in the streets um, because of a, because of the murder of George Floyd. Um, all of these are tied together. It is an indication that we are hitting a, a, a wall as um, in our society, and, and that's not even including climate change, but we're hitting a wall in our society where we're, we're seeing things aren't working. Things are not working. Um, this go hard lifestyle um, of you know, working yourself to death, um, of really prioritizing money over people, um, all these things are not working. They're leading to conditions that are adverse to the, to the human body. Uh, and I think that that is why this movement is really going to accelerate once we get to the, to the point where we are very clear about what implementation and application of this science looks like in a real way. I mean, if, when you really do pause and think over the last several years, just where it and then I mean we didn't even bring up the impact of the January sixth insurrection and what that means and I mean there was just so much that has happened and we I agree something is going to change right we don't know I don't know what that is but we are at a cusp of 
change is going to come. Um, and hopefully this movement can be the driver of that change. And I mean, and it's a big year for Pace's connection, right? I, I feel like we, we've, we've made it through you. We've made it through COVID. We made it through 2022 and um, now we're moving into 2023 and you being the CEO, what do you see Pace's, what do you see our next steps as an organization? What do you see us doing um, moving into the next year? around this movement and supporting people who are in the work or wanting to start the work or um, experts in the work? Well, some things we'll continue to do. We have always supported communities that are doing the work of addressing toxic stress in their, in their, um, you know, local communities. And, And so that's cities, counties, states that are, that are doing the work. And we'll continue to support them um, and one thing that we've kind of added is um, our consulting services. So we have not just um, organizations like community organizations, but all organizations that are just in need of you know, a lot of different things. So DEIB, um, you know, becoming trauma informed, or even just you know being able to relate to the people that they're serving. Um, and so. We have added that so that we can be um, of service to those um, organizations and really anyone that's in need of that type of, of assistance. And I think that by doing that, we um, we can also kind of expand the work that we've already started um, because we have several learning collaboratives um, that have really been able to uh, help uh, organizations um, and community um, or like community grassroots movements to, um, you know, have, mul- you know, facilitate multi-sector collaboration in their areas. And so that is really kind of what I'm finding that what that's what we do well. We educate well. And so I think we'll definitely continue to do that. Um, we'll hopefully, con- you know, really push for more partners in this work that are kind of outside of our comfort zone. We've been playing in our own sandbox with people that are just like us or organizations that are just like us. And we need to get out of that and and be um, open to, again, this understanding that pace of science is for everyone. And so we'll we'll hopefully expand um, to reach out to to lots of different um, partners. And that, workplace, uh, <laughs> that trauma-informed workplace issue is 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 really uh, there. I have definitely encountered people this past year where they say that, you know, that their work is, or their workplace is just unbearable and that it has gotten, it was already bad before uh, the pandemic and has gotten worse. Uh, and so I think that this is important for us as a society. We need to have a healthy working population for our our society to work well for at the state agencies and corporations. Um, for us to have a prosperous society, we need to have a healthy work workforce. And so, I believe we'll we'll continue work in that space. Um, but I think most importantly, internally, my goal is to have to for us for Pace's Connection to be a healthy workforce. Um, and so I will be definitely committing myself to ensuring that, you know, um, 
Pace's employees and team members um, are healthy and and um, feel as though their workplace is a healthy workplace. Um, so I'm excited about the new year, and I think that we will have many things that that will be on the plate. I mean, especially we had a grief conference and a, a trauma-informed um, education leadership conference last year. And I'm excited to have those again this year. Um, the response was great and people were really impacted, especially by the grief conference. Uh, and so, you know, those type of conferences and convenings will continue those. They were, um, you know, as, as I was uh, impacted by them as an int- uh, attendee. So I'm definitely looking forward to having more of those this coming year too. Well, and I think it's important for people to know that if you didn't get to attend the leadership conference, uh, it's actually still on our Eventbrite. You can get access to that. Um, the recordings, it's uh, four days, I think. Yes, four days. Um, international speakers, it's, uh, I actually spoke, um, but it was, it was awesome. It was a great time. And then very soon in the next week or so, we will have the grief conference uh, up on Eventbrite and you can access that. Um, I was a participant of that. I did not present. And I will tell you, um, sometimes you don't even realize how much grief you're holding until you get collectively and begin to process. Yes. And yes. I, I lost my mother two years ago and I thought I had processed. The, I mean, we never process all of our grief, right? I think right. That, that's, but boy, there were times in that, that I had to stop, pause, connect to myself and go, Phew, I'm still, yeah. I'm still feeling a lot. Right. So, um, and there's people all over this world, whether it's, you've lost someone or you're in the, in that space of not knowing what to do. So that will be up on Eventbrite as well, um, which I think is something that I'm looking forward to, uh, yeah. Ingrid, in the moving into this next year is providing these opportunities for people to come together around specific sector topics and things, um, connect and help each other and support each other um, as we move through the work. Yeah, that the grief conference for me was probably one of the events that we had that I most that I was most impacted by because yeah. you know over the last three years I think many of us can say that we've lost someone close to us and so um, it was it was a great moment for me to be able to process collectively and we'll hopefully have um, well we will have more of those types of events for people to share in I think another thing that I think is important. Um, as we move forward into this year is the ability to, uh, again, kind of promote this sense of collective care uh, that we, we do need to get back to how we um, have operated in the past around community and neighborhoods and our ability to um, support each other, especially in these times when um, things seem dire. And so I hope that we can do that. And I, I know that one thing that is a, an issue or several things that, are, um, that can be a barrier to that, to creating community is tribalism. And it has really reared its ugly head over the last, ugh, I mean, two presidential administrations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, our ability to come together despite whatever political background um, we may have and or even you know ideology across the board um, is is really going to be kind of what what um, helps us to get past this time that we 
are able to see each other as human beings um, and not uh, become so polarized based on politics or ideology. Um, that is something that I've noticed in our work. I've Lots of members send emails that say that they're disappointed with maybe our articles around abortion or that we have increased our focus on race. And, um, and we are doing that because those are the issues, those are the those are the conditions and the issues that are preventing us from being able to really engage in collective care. Um, and so I, I hope that we can continue, continue to kind of chip away at that or not be so impacted by politics when we want to create, you know, just positive conditions for everyone to thrive in, in this world. I think what you've just said is I'll say it in the, in my own way is we're embracing the mess. And I think that's what we have to do, right? Um, and and I, I say that that was Alex Chevron Vanette. We she used to talk about trauma informed work, and it, it's just messy, right? We have to embrace the mess. And I think if we all step up to the plate, sit at the table, and say we're going to embrace the mess and have conversations around it, and uh, do as the best we know how until we know better, and then we're going to do better, then that's how the progress and movement is going to happen. When we sit at the table. And just because I don't agree with the person next to me, I'm not allowed to have a conversation or I get up and move. These conversations will never happen. And so I, I find that encouraging Ingrid um, internally and externally uh, and am excited about moving into the year. So you've got about one minute. What are you going to take us away with at the end of uh, an end of this amazing conversation we've had? Oh yeah. Um, definitely, you know, check us out at Paces Connection where we're embracing the mess <laughs> And also um, the, for the rest of this month, we will be focusing on intergenerational transmission of trauma. So please um, join us as we really discuss how trauma passes through generations uh, and what that means for us as a society. And so thank you so much for joining us this week. And we will, um, you know, thank you for joining us in, in this year. We've had a great year with 2022 as our first year in this podcast. So we're excited about moving forward. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the show today. We hope we have helped to give you a better understanding of trauma and how historical trauma affects the human experience. Join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. We wish you a beautiful week. 